most of us don't just want to read our Bible. We want to enjoy it. We want to understand it. This is the Bible Field Guide podcast. We make the Bible make sense. In today's episode, we'll explore how understanding the literary structure and genre of a text can actually help you comprehend its meaning more easily and more faithfully. I was a super lazy middle schooler. By the time my English teachers were done with my papers, well, I don't know how to put this, but they looked bloodier than a Quentin Tarantino movie. But I'll tell you what, I I learned. I learned from the red pen. And one of the first lessons I learned was structure. We all remember it. Uh, The five-paragraph essay, one introductory paragraph, three body paragraphs, and then a conclusion paragraph. And I bet you could tell me where the thesis sentence goes. The last sentence of the first paragraph. I could go through different parts, and you could probably find a lot of them too. In fact, if I gave you a paper by a decently smart middle schooler, you could probably name each part and find where they were. Why? Well, it's because you know the structure, and that structure got ingrained into your mind the same way it got ingrained into my mind during middle school. Now, here's what I find interesting. Understanding the the basic rules of structure actually helps your comprehension, helps you understand things a lot more easily. Why? Well, because knowing where to find the specific parts of a literary text, it, it helps you to understand the whole. You know where the part is, you can understand the whole. For example, if you know where to find the thesis statement in an essay, you're gonna have a way easier time comprehending the essay's meaning. If you know that you're reading a topic sentence, then you're going to have a way easier time understanding, comprehending the paragraph that follows. All this is so basic that we hardly even realize that we're doing it. But think about it. If you were an outside observer who didn't know any of this, it could look remarkable. They'd be like, wow, you know exactly where to look for what, and you know exactly how to read it and what you're reading when you're reading it. That's amazing. Now, one thing that helps us determine what kind of structure we're reading is genre. Genre and structure, they kind of work hand in hand because the genre of a piece tells you what kind of structure to expect. For example, the structure of an essay varies from the structure of an editorial. But that's not all that genre does. Genre can tell us something about the author's rhetorical goals, what they want to accomplish. For example, again, the intent, the goal of an editorial is pretty different than the goal of a news story. So if you tried to read an editorial like a news story, not only are you going to be confused, why does this guy keep giving me his opinion? You could be misled. If you thought that it wasn't an opinion piece, you thought it was a news story. This is is fact, right? This is what happened. Now, again, all of this is basically automated for us. We don't have to think that hard about it. Our internal operating system runs the software of these different genres very easily. It can run the editorial software, the essay, news story, Facebook posts, instruction manual, road sign, fiction software. It can do all of those almost automatically. But what happens when we come upon a genre that we don't know? A genre that has a rhetorical goal different than what we might expect. Imagine, for example, picking up a mathematical proof written by a brilliant mathematician. Now, personally, I don't have enough experience with proofs to know what I was looking at. 
I wouldn't know where to find different parts, and I wouldn't know which parts were the most important for understanding the whole. And so if I was reading it, I would probably just end up analogizing it to something I knew well. I'd probably say, oh, this looks like this is the the thesis. Oh, and this looks like these must be the supporting arguments. And oh, oh, that must be the conclusion. And here's the thing. I might be right. I might be sort of right. Or I could just be totally wrong. When we open up the Bible, we're stepping into a literary world that we sort of know. We've read the kind of episodic narratives that characterize the different historical books. When we get to the poetry, that's a bit more afield for most of us because we don't spend much time reading poetry today. But when we get to the parts that are genealogies or the apocalyptic literature or the sacrificial literature, those things can seem almost otherworldly. We're so unfamiliar with those genres, with those structures, with those rhetorical goals. But even in the genres we do know, like let's take narrative again, there's different rules than we're used to playing with. For example, we like to put the main theme or thesis right at the top. It's the last sentence of the intro. And then after we've given that, we make our case. But in the ancient world, it was a lot more common to put the main point right in the middle and to explain it both before and afterwards. So this can be super confusing for us because we're prone to think that the middle is something that might actually be the least important. Let me give you an example, the story of Abraham. So in that story, there are all of these opening and closing stories about his life where he's fearing being murdered. And as a result, he gives his wife away to foreign rulers. So if that's the kind of story that comes towards the beginning and the end of Abraham's story, we could draw some conclusions. We might think that the Abraham story is about being fearful and giving your wife away. Or perhaps the opposite. Maybe it's saying, don't be like Abraham. Don't be fearful. Don't give your wife away. So is that what the Abraham stories are all about? Well, the answer is no. The stories that matter the most in Abraham's life are the ones that come at the center of his story. And understanding the central parts of his story will help you to understand the whole of his story. Okay, so what's at the center of Abraham's story? Well, there's actually two different narratives where God makes a covenant with Abraham to give him children and then to give his children a land one day. And this is all a gift from God, not something that Abraham earned. In fact, Abraham receives this gift by faith. And so it's clear that what God expects Abraham to do is patiently wait, patiently trust. And here's where it gets interesting. Sandwiched between these two covenant stories is a story about Abraham trying to take God's promises into his own hands. He tries to get God's promise by acting himself, not by trusting God, but by taking it into his own hands. And so perhaps it's no surprise that as a result, he acts terribly. He sleeps with his wife's slave because his wife told him to, but still he does it. And after that, after all this terrible abuse, and it really is terrible, the slave understandably tries to run away. Now, while she's on the run, she's encountered by God, who very paradoxically sends her back, but he does promise to be with her. He's telling her, you need to trust me even in the midst of all of this awful, awful pain. Now, what do we learn from these thematic stories at the center? Well, I think what we learn is this. God calls Abraham, God calls all people to trust But instead, what we tend to do 
is take our lives into our own hands and cause havoc, not just havoc for ourselves, but pain and havoc for others. Now, this actually tells us how to interpret what's happening when Abraham allows foreign rulers to take his wife. On the one hand, it tells us that those rulers are villains. They're like Abraham. They're taking things that aren't theirs so that they can sleep with them. It's wrong. But on the other hand, Abraham is failing as well because Abraham isn't trusting God to protect his wife. He's not trusting God to protect the woman who's going to have the child that God promised him. We need to make sure that we never forget the fact that the Bible is literature. The Bible is a book. And unlike most books, the Bible has a polyphony of genres. There's so many different kinds of genres. And that means that there's a wide variety of structures as well. But knowing the genre, knowing the structure, knowing the author's rhetorical goals, that's what's going to help you read your Bible well. It's a key step in understanding what's actually happening in your Bible This is one of our central goals whenever we do our reading guides. In our reading guides, we're going to help you understand the genre and the structure and the rhetorical goals of different sections. And we're also going to explain the structure, point you to key parts so that you can see how those key parts help you to understand the whole. We're going to do that visually on Instagram, so you'll want to make sure to check that out there. And we'll try and do it audibly here on the podcast. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to the Bible Field Guide podcast. Please subscribe and give us a rating if you like this content. It helps other people find it as well. If you don't already follow us on Instagram, I think you're probably going to want to check out some of the stuff that we're doing on there. It's just Bible Field Guide. You can click a link to it in the show notes. Or if you want to see the visuals we're doing on a different format, you can look at our website, BibleFieldGuides.com. We are still in the very early stages of this project, so uh, there isn't a ton out there yet, but here's the deal. We have got a lot, 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 lot more planned. So if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, or musings, you can find my email on our website. Please reach out.